the fullness of him who fills all in all. And it's in Ephesians 1.22. But before you turn there, I want to ask you, who is the fullness of him? Yeah, I heard somebody. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we should be a lot more... Uh, I, you, know, you would hope that... Um, any church you went to would be really solid in knowing that and say, we are, you know, because if you're the fullness of him and you don't know it, then he doesn't really have a fullness <laughs> on the earth. I mean, he's got it, but it's not usable at that point, right? Amen. So if we turn there, it's what it says. In Ephesians 1 there, about verse 21, Jesus was seated far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in, in the age which is to come. And He, that is God, put all things under His, that is Jesus's feet and gave Him, Jesus, to be head over all things to the church. Now, that's a translation thing because you got to understand that word could be to or for or by. So he gave him over all things to be head, to be head over all things to the church. Well, he gave him to the church, but he also gave him for the church. You understand? So it could go either way. He gave him for the church to be, to be head over all things for the church, to the church, why do you have to do that? Why do you, why, Adam, was, Adam was assigned this task. Why do you have to do this? Why do you have to give Jesus? Because Adam failed. Thank you. Because Adam failed and there was nobody to be head over all things on the earth. And people say, but there was God, but they don't understand that God had already said it would be a man. And I still run into 5, 10, 15, 100, 300 people a week that don't understand that principle. They think that God just makes up rules as He goes along, no matter what He's read, no matter what He's said, no matter what He's written. Oh, He's God, He can just do whatever He wants. They don't realize that that creates a backlog of lies. They've never thought this thing through. I mean, they really believe that. Oh, if God wants to do it, He'll just do it. Unless He said otherwise. Because if He said otherwise here, and He never lies, and He goes down here and just does whatever He wants, what does that make this? People just don't think. He's not going to go against what He said. His Word is everything. I want you to understand, well, you can understand. I want you to think about this for a second. Everything that we are standing on, everything that we see and have faith in, this table holding up this book, right, is because of His Word. It's not because of the table. His word doesn't exist because of the table. The table is, exists because of his word. 
right? Everything you experience is a manifestation of what you believe God for. Or you're not believing God for anything, and you're just in the middle of a manifestation of what everybody else believes. And that's a lot of Christians, by the way. They're not really believing God. They may, they may be believing Him to go to heaven, and everything else is just a manifestation of what other people are believing for. And they're just riding away. Or sometimes they're just getting crushed. Either way. Right? Does that make sense? Now let's prove it. Verse 23. Well, I'll do 22 again. Ephesians 1, 22. God put all things under Christ's feet and gave Christ to be head over all things to the church, which is His body. The fullness of Christ who fills all in all. And you can also, get when you get home, you can check this. You can check it now. Who fulfills all in all. Fills, fulfills. If you fill an order, you fulfill an order. If it helps you to say fulfill and it makes more sense to you, okay. The law, he filled, but he also fulfilled it. Does that make sense? So think about that with me for a second. If he gave him to be head over all things for us, over all things for us, right? Amen. So that we can be his fullness, then what does God expect us to be? So then you look at somebody and say, you know, and just gently, lovingly, you want to say, so you believe God has quit fulfilling His promises. Why is that? You believe God doesn't really want to raise the dead. I mean, every now and then, but He doesn't do it through men anymore. I have, I have a big problem with that because the Bible says men are His fullness. How's He going to do it? How's he going to do it? If he's given for the church so the church can be his fullness on the earth, everything he wants to do, he's going to do through his body. Right. He's not doing it out there just from heaven to here. He has partners, and his partners are filled with his fullness, and they're supposed to go forth and change everything that we see based on who he is, not who we are. Based on who he is, there should be a major change in the earth. If you don't see this, then understand the reason is the church will not major in this because we've lost faith. We've created doctrines now that say, well, he used to do that, but he doesn't do it anymore. He's changed. Well, if he's changed, that means his fullness has changed. And I can just really quickly rattle off, you know, I, the Lord, changes not. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I mean, so I can just tell you that that's just, unfortunately, that's the evidence of people that lead in churches that don't see the fullness of God, and they're trying to reason out in their own mind why they don't see it, and they don't want to take the blame themselves, so they put it on God. That's the simplest, most honest way to say that. Well, you know, we prayed for him, and he didn't get healed. You may have, but you didn't have faith. 
or either you didn't have the promise to have faith on because it's not going to fall on God. He hasn't changed. And if you're truly the body of Christ, you're His fullness. So if anything that's in His will, He's trying to work through you. Right? So when we don't see the manifestations of promises of God, it's not God. And I want you to understand, take a moment and let that settle. How far away must the church be from who God really is that we start writing doctrine into what we believe, making excuses to the point where we're, bl- we're saying He's changed? How far away must we be when we get to the point where we're starting to speak for God and say why He won't do what His Word says He certainly will. And how pleased could He be with people that do that? (laughs) And, And what I would ask even further, because those people, and this is a strong word, they would swear to you they have faith. Well, I believe in God. I believe God can do whatever He wants. Well, first of all, you're wrong. God can only do what He said. So you don't even know that much. Before you start, you don't even understand the principle that He's founded the whole of creation on. So you're already out of faith. No wonder you don't see a manifestation. Not to be me, but just to point that out. You're already out of faith. You already don't understand how it works. No wonder the church is hamstrung with two hands behind their back, right? And then there are so many other reasons. And it also explains why a simple person that gets born again and just starts reading the Bible will have more manifestations than somebody goes to a church that's full of doctrines. And they've been trained in the wrong doctrine all these years. And a simple person that hadn't been trained any doctrine but gets truly born again and just starts reading this book and truly believing it, will have a hundred times, a thousand times the promises of God fulfilled in their life. And then what does the church do? They get upset. They get jealous. And they say, well, it's not God. They do exactly what they did to Jesus because they were upset and jealous because a simple man didn't attend their schools, didn't attend their churches, wasn't filled with their junk, came along, who truly believed what his father said, and he had tons of manifestations. And what did they say? Oh, he does those things by devils. He does them by demons. That's the only excuse you can come up with, and it still happens today. Oh, they don't know what they're talking about. That either didn't happen or it's some kind of evil stuff doing it, right? Remember what Jesus said to that, right? He said, either make the tree good or not. What was he saying? If it produces good fruit, it's a good tree. It's real simple. If it produces good fruit, it's a good tree. Every good tree beareth good fruit. Right? He said, it's not hard. It's not hard. If you go out of that fig tree five years in a row and never has figs, cut that sucker down and burn it. <laughs> if you go out there every year and it has figs on it, guess what? It's a fig tree. It ain't hard. But I don't know where it came from. I don't know what variety. I don't know. I don't know who variegated it. I don't. I don't know. You know. I don't know. We'll just eat the figs and hush. And that what Jesus was saying. 
That's literally what he was saying, right? Believe, what did he say? Believe on the merit of the works themselves. Exactly what he told them. If you can't believe in who I say I am, then believe on the merit of what I do. And that the same thing as eat the figs and hush. If the figs are there, trust the figs and just hush and eat them. Right? Amen? So we have trees in the room, and we need figs. We have trees in this room, and we need figs. Because people need figs to eat. Because they, they can't believe who we say he is necessarily. But they can believe what they see, for starters, right? And so this is why I want to talk to you about it. We're the fullness of him who feels everything. Now, that doesn't mean that I am the fullness of him. It means that I plus you, 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 plus you. Everybody that's born again and part of the kingdom of God together has received some of the fullness of who Christ is. Which is why it's such an egregious error to divide the church. Right? Because that means you take the necessary pieces that work well together and you separate them. These people never hear about these people's gifts and talents. They never see them in operation. They never hear about them. And what's worse, they're told those aren't real because they're not part of us. Has nothing to do with God, though. Has to do with the people because the people divided. Does it make sense now? There are, there are denominations that believe they know the way to baptize and the only way to baptize, right? And they'll die defending denomination over the rest of the body of Christ. Some of them. I mean, you know, I'm just, I'm just generalizing, not, not picking on anybody. Why will they do that? Because they just know they're right, right? But they don't know what these people over here have. Don't know a thing about it. And because they don't know about it, it can't be real. It can't be from God because it doesn't happen in our group, right? Makes sense? And that's just an example, just one of so many things that we're divided over and so many groups that really just need to be brought together. Because, I mean, I'll share with you, I happen to agree with them. If John baptized in the river and Jesus baptized in the river, hush, I mean, it's not a bad idea to baptize, fully immerse somebody. Just my opinion, you know. But now, if it's frozen in the winter in Minnesota and you can't, put your hand in water on top of their head, you know, do that, right? But as soon as it thaws out, take them down to the river and dunk them. That's just my opinion. Why wouldn't we do what they did? I, I don't know. I don't think there's one recorded instance in the Bible of any kind of water baptism other than taking somebody and putting them under the water and bringing them up. So why would we change it? Why would we be cavalier about it and say, well, you don't really have to do that. I'm not going to do that if I can help it. Does that make sense? So I happen to agree with them but I might not ever have known that had I not been around those people. Make sense? All right, so we're his fullness. Now, John 1.16 says this, 
in agreement with what we've been talking about. This is another verse. Let every word be established by at least two or three witnesses. So we have at least two here, right? Out of his fullness, we have all received. Out of his fullness, we've all received. Raise your hand if you're his. You've received a portion of his fullness. You may or may not know it, and you may or may not be using it, but I promise you, based on the word of God, who will never lie, that you have received a portion of his fullness. We're not all the same. Some people receive what seems like quadruple portions, and some people don't, okay? No, it's just true. But nevertheless, you don't need to divide from people because they got a portion. They have a portion that's necessary. If it wasn't, God wouldn't have done it. Right? Amen? Which is why Paul said, there's no reason in the body of Christ for a hand to say, well, I'm a hand and I don't need the foot. It's exactly what he's speaking to. It's what we've done in many cases. He is exactly telling us, don't do what we've done. You know? Well, I'm Methodist. I don't need the Pentecostals. I'm Pentecostal. I don't need the Episcopalians, right? They don't think like we do. It's exactly what we've done is what he's told us not to do. And then we blame God because we don't receive a manifestation of the promises. Now, I say blame him. I don't mean that people are intentionally blaming him. But when you make doctrines that say, well, he must just not do that anymore, because certainly we believe. When we are so out of order and we have so disobeyed what he's told us to do, it's like impotent little children stomping their feet, saying, I want this and I want that and I want it now and I want it my way. And the parents are just laughing, going, you ain't going to get it. <laughs> you know, you keep doing that, I'm going to give you something else too. Oh, you don't think that's true? I direct quote, the Lord chasteneth those he loveth. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You know, every father disciplines his children. If you don't receive discipline from the Lord, you're not his because he ain't worried about you. That's, that's a scary thought. If you never get judged or disciplined by God, and pushed over back into where you're supposed to be, then he's not working with you as a son or a daughter, which is scary because you're not his, right? And that's something. Yeah, that's that's rough there now. I'll take, I don't want it, but I'll take it, you know, because it's proof, it's evidence of something. He's taken me to raise and I'm his, right? So, out of his fullness, we've all received, which means we're the ones that are supposed to change the culture of the world. We're the ones. And I would ask you honestly, how many times do you hear Christians praying, praying, Lord, I just pray you'll come in and just cause, cause revival. Is that what we're learning here? No, we're to be so impassioned by what we're filled with that we cause revival. Right? The manifestation of His promises in His people 
is so powerful, just like it was in Jesus Christ, that it will cause revival. The simple, the thing of it is, is do we believe it enough to have faith and patience to wait for the promise so that it can? Or do we give up and just continue praying, God, please change our land. God, please change our land. What do you think he's saying back? Please act like you believe in me and start changing your land. Please take the words I've given you and declare them in faith and start changing your land. Please change your land. I'm sure he's saying the same thing back to us. Please read that again and understand it and change your land. Please quit making decisions that line up more with sinners than with who you are in me so that, we, so that you can change your land because you're the fullness of everything I meant that it takes to change the whole earth. You are. You keep asking me to do it. And you're the tool I created to do it. It's like the shovel saying to the man, please dig that hole. Please come dig this hole. I mean, literally, literally, we're the fullness of him. We're his body. And we're looking up saying, please dig this hole. And he's like, but I created you for that very purpose. (laughs) That's bad. (laughs) That's just rough, isn't it? (laughs) You're the shovel. You're created just for that. And you go, please, please do my job. Please do my job. And no, it's not out of laziness. It's out of a lack of understanding. So I don't want it to sound like I'm making fun of people. It's a lack of knowledge. You know, it's a lack of knowledge. People have been trained in the places where they worship to pray that way. I can't tell you the number of times that I'm around people. And that's how they pray. That's how they pray. I always know it's coming. You can start to feel it in the air. They're going to ask God to do something that we're charged with doing. And they're going to feel much better about it because they've turned it over to Him. The whole world's in His hands, except we're the shovel. (laughs) I'm sure you've heard that. Don't worry about a thing. God's got everything under control. The whole world's in His hands, except for He made us the fullness of all. Right? Is the whole world in his hands? Sure. It's in his hands. And what did he do through his hands? He created Adam and went. That's what he did with his hands. And he used his hands along with men. You know, Jesus actually said, if I cast out devils by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you by the finger of God, his hands. In other words, his hands work in concert with men. So how simplistic and really lacking foundation is it when we just throw off every care and say, oh, it doesn't matter, the whole world's in his hands. We're kind of missing the point that we're the ones his hands work through. Right? Don't worry, it doesn't make any difference what kind of decisions you've made. 
God's for you. Keep believing that. Keep making bad decisions and see. God will let you make them and He will allow you to pay for them. He will. He's not going to cheat anybody on the earth. I mean, seriously, think about, think about that for a minute. If I, go out and, if I go out and buy land and I can't afford it, He's not going to cheat somebody just because they're not a Christian. He's going to say, you should have counted the cost. Why would anybody start building a barn without first counting the cost? Doesn't it say that in here? Then he means it, <laughs> right? Isn't that true? A lot of wisdom in his word. So, I heard this song. It's a song I, I really like. I used to listen to it a lot. And I noticed something I'd never heard in it before. <clears throat> and, the, and they were singing it. It says something about how to believe in what you can't see in regards to God. You know, how to believe in what you can't see. And, and the impression given is that you can't see God. You're having to believe until the end. Right? That was the impression given. Very popular song years ago. But um, and it really hit me. The Lord really hit me. He said, you know, most people think that's Christianity because that's how they've been trained. And he said, now, what do you know about that? I said, oh, it's sad. It's sad. So I want to talk to you about it a little bit because this is, this is not God. That's not God. Now, most people, and I, I, well, I would say most people think it is. But it's not God. God has not asked you to believe in things you can't see. And most people think that he has. You know, because he's in a different realm than we are and not visible to the natural fallen eye. They think, well, we're just not supposed to see him. Right? Now, he's got to deal with, our, with the departure that Adam and Eve made. Because once they had to leave the garden, they couldn't walk with him naturally anymore. They couldn't see him with their natural eye anymore. It's not his fault. He gave them freedom, right? They made a bad choice. So how does he deal with that? Well, the first thing he did was send Jesus Christ, who was his image. And he's a man, so you can see him. Of course, Hebrews 2, about verse 8 says, We can't yet see all things in subjection under men, but we can see Jesus, right? So we have an opportunity to see what it would look like were Father God here operating His will. The difference is it was His Son who was a man operating in His will. So now there should be no question what God's will is. God's will is what Jesus did. <laughs> Isn't that the simplest thing in the world? That's just the simplest thing in the world. Preach to people that don't understand the goodness of the kingdom of God. Jesus never preached fire and brimstone. And I get these things on Facebook every now and then. You know, people are just going crazy. We need some good old hell and fire and brimstone preaching. If that worked, Jesus Christ would have been number one doing it. God is not trying to get people into the kingdom by scaring them to death. He doesn't have to, guys. 
The kingdom is so good. If they just knew the blessing, you wouldn't have to use any type of fear to get them in. Jesus did not have to use fear. Jesus preached truth, and then manifestations of the promises of that truth followed it, and people beat the door down to get where he was. They literally cut holes in the ceiling of people's houses to get near him. He didn't need that. And the idea that men need that, that are filled with that same fullness, let's just be honest, that's ridiculous. Now, is it true? Yeah. Jesus would tell somebody too. If he knew their heart, he'd say, you're not with me. You're going to hell. He wasn't trying to scare them. He was telling them the truth. If it scared them, maybe it should have. But he always spoke the truth, right? So he wasn't going to lie. He would say that, but he never made a teaching out of it. I would, I, would, I would invite anybody to find somewhere where he made a teaching out of, if you don't change, you're going to hell. Hell is going to be hot. Hell is going to be a place where you're going to burn forever. Now, he didn't make a, a teaching out of it. He never preached it. But he did say things about it. He did. He said, they're going to be there. He said, and their worm will never die. It's going to be bad, right? But when you, have, when you have good news, and that's great enough, by far greater than the bad news, you just kind of preach the good news, right? Amen? So think about this with me then. That's not God. Hebrews 6, if you will. I love this thing absolutely like this part of what God says to us. Most of the time, men swear. Or if you get in front of a court or something like that, and the judge will say, raise your right hand. Am I right? And you put your other hand on the Bible. Who are you swearing by? Who are you swearing by? God. Because there's something greater than you. When God was trying to deal with men and show them how good He is, there was nobody greater to swear by. You understand the position God was in? He couldn't put His hand on anything except Himself because He's the greatest thing there is. So there was nobody greater to swear by, so He swore by Himself. Amen. Come on, give Him some glory here. He swore by Himself. He said, there's no name greater to swear by, so I'm just going to swear by myself, right? Everybody else swears by me, and y'all believe it. Hold on. Everybody else swears by God, and, and we believe it. We even take it as truth in court. And God's given us a testimony swearing by Himself, and most Christians don't believe it they'll believe somebody's testimony in court who swears by God, but they won't believe the words of the one they swear by. That's just messed up. I don't know any other way to say it, <laughs> you know, but it's true. 
Well, look what he says. When God made a promise to Abraham, because he, he could swear by no one greater than himself, he swore by himself, saying, Surely, blessing I'll bless you, and multiplying I'll multiply you. Okay. This is God. Hear me out on this. It's not God that's expecting you to believe something that can't be seen, can't be tasted, can't be trusted. That's, I don't know, I don't know, that's like a doctrine the world put in there. You understand, Abraham is a, is a man, he's alive. God speaks to him and say, hey, for sure, I will bless you and I will multiply you. Now this here, this doctrine that God is not real today and he doesn't do anything, he's not going to do anything until after we go to heaven is so pervasive in church that people even bend this verse to say, oh yeah, but he's talking about later when he resurrects everybody. And No, but, but the evidence, folks, if you study Abraham, the evidence is there that he did it while he was alive. So you can just sweep that out in, in the bin and throw it away because it's worthless. The truth is written in the testimony of the one we swear by. Was that clear? The truth is written in the testimony of the one we swear by. I swear to God. People do it all the time. Why do they do it? Because he's, he's the pinnacle of truth and unchangeability. And yet his testimony is here. And we don't treat it as the pinnacle of change and immutability. I believe in God. Yeah, you did in the courtroom, but you haven't in your life. Anyway, he swore to him, he said, Surely blessing I'll bless you and multiplying I'll multiply you. Look at verse 17 now. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise the immutability of His counsel. Guys, immutability is a very powerful word. It means cannot be changed. Cannot be changed. That's what I was showing you with the timeline. Once God says something here, and these Christians say, oh, well, God can do whatever He wants. You know, if He wants to do that, He can do it. No, no. Everything He said from the beginning is immutable. He can't get down here and just change His mind. He can't save you another way outside of Jesus Christ. If He set a way for you to be healed or delivered, He can't just change it down there because everything He said is absolutely immutable, unchangeable. But that's a good thing when you flip it around because everything he said, everything he promised you is absolutely immutable and unchangeable. That's how I know there's no doctrine that's changed anything. That's how I know God hadn't quit healing people through men. He hadn't quit casting out demons through men. He hadn't quit raising the dead through men. He hadn't quit telling people to preach the gospel, a good gospel, and not need hellfire and brimstone, and people will still get saved. He hasn't quit baptizing people in the Holy Spirit. He hadn't quit giving any of the gifts like tongues or any of that stuff because His stuff is immutable. Right? I mean, you can just read it and tell. 
It's just immutable. So this is what he said in verse 17. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of the promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it through an oath. I want you to understand with me, everything he's told you in his word is an oath. You don't break an oath, do you? Especially not when your oath, everything you said is immutable. You have committed yourself to come through on everything you've said. Everything you've said. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He won't. And the thing about God, He's not like us. I may tell somebody that and really mean it, but I may not know the days, times, or seasons. I may have a car wreck on the way. Right? Now, we tend to think like that, but look, God's not going to have a car wreck on the way. Nothing's going to move Him. Nothing's going to sway Him. Nothing's going to change Him. Nothing's more powerful than Him. He is truly immutable in all that He does. And He is powerful and He will follow through. Amen? We're not talking about a man here. <laughs> Praise God. We're not talking about a man here to come through with His promises. We might kind of think like that. But we're not. So... He confirmed it by an oath, verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. He put that in there. By two immutable, unchangeable, anchored, foundational things in which it is impossible for Him to lie. Now here's the thing, it's impossible for God to lie because He won't, but He's not asking you to believe that. What this is saying is these two immutable things cannot be lied about. They either take place or they don't. You ever seen these things in the Bible? Stay with me now. Abram would say, okay, I hear what you're saying, God, but how will I know that it's going to come to pass? You ever heard people... Speak like that in the Bible when you've been reading, like, Lord, I, I, like, like Gideon, Lord, I believe it, but how will I know it's going to come to pass, right? How will I know it's going to come to pass? How will you know it's going to come to pass? How will you know that the things God's promised in the future, in the next world, how do you know they're going to come to pass? It's speaking against that song I was talking about that the Lord started talking to me about. He said, that's not me. I'm not asking you to believe things you can't prove. I'm not asking you to believe things you can't see. I don't know who those people are, but they're not living what I'm wanting them to live, right? He said, I've given two immutable things that it's impossible to lie in. It's impossible to lie, and you can see them. You can see these things. I'm not asking you to believe things you can't experience. Amen? Now think about it for a minute that by two immutable things, which it's impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation. Why does he say consolation? That's like t getting second place, you know, or whatever, being the loser, right? You need consoling. Am I right? 
Why does he say that you need consolation? Anybody? Because you're going to endure trials and temptations and persecutions in the world because of who your adversary is. That makes sense? Satan's going to do his best to break you. He's going to do his best to steal from you, kill you, and destroy everything you stand for in Christ. Right? We know that. For the enemy cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And God's not going to do... If it's up to Him, until you've lived your full life and created your and completed your assignment, He's not wanting to pull you out of the earth. He's wanting to leave you here powerful and strong to complete your assignment. But your enemy is not wanting you here. <laughs> he is totally trying to get you out of this earth. Even if you're going to heaven, better headed to heaven than here doing good things for God. Amen? So here's this problem then. We're going to have trials, persecutions, testing testing but I want to share something with you and this is just kind of a side note but please stay with me it's important um, tests are not what we sometimes think they are first of all many people think well God's testing me he wants to see what I'll do <laughs> as if God needs to wait on you God knows what you're going to do <laughs> he knows the future he don't need you to tell him what you're going to do. <laughs> That's just funny to me. You know, like, well, God just wants to see if I'll know. God knows what you're going to do. You know exactly what you're going to do, right? And the second thing is, well, he's testing me. You know, he wants to do this or that, whatever. Here's the point. When God tests you, he's trying to prove something to you. Testings are opportunities for these two promises. We run away from testing and we want run away from persecution and so many times we're running away from our greatest blessing. Because when we are tested is when if we will hold on in faith God will bless and multiply our situation and prove during our life now. It'll be a great consolation to us. Does that make sense? It's strong consolation for what He will do in the future based on what we know good and well He's doing now. Amen? And it causes faith to grow. And not only that, folks, Testimony brings people into the kingdom of God. Good testimony brings people into the kingdom of God. And so when we run from trials and tribulations, we are running from the things that prove who He is. And Jesus told us this. They asked Him at some point, who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should have this problem? You know what His answer was? Neither one. He's persecuted to prove the kingdom of God. He told him. He said, this is to show forth the goodness of God. That's all this is. Now, 
If they had run away, it's like, well, I ain't praying for that guy. He may not get you. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm touching my 10-foot pole. You crazy? I'm getting out of here. Guess what? Nobody would have brought the promises of the kingdom through in front of the people that day. What I, now, when the church creates her own doctrine saying God won't do these things anymore, we're doing the same thing. We're running away from the hard stuff because we don't believe. And God has put those things there to glorify Himself. It'll be to His glory. It'll be to His glory. Amen? When you stick in there and you believe. So just, just give this some thought today, if you will. Um, so now that, we, now that we've come this far, It'll be a strong consolation, verse 18, for those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. See what I'm saying? Blessing and multiplication are not invisible. You figured this out, right? Now, the song I heard that God began to show me, all he's like, you, know, you got to go talk about this because this is, this is terrible. People are turning what I've done upside on its head. You know, it's not right. And so, but here's the point. Blessing is evident. Multiplication is evident. In any of its forms in your life, it's evident. It is evident. It can't be faked. That's why God said in which it's impossible for me to lie. I can't lie about these things. You're either blessed or you're not. I can't lie about these things. You're either multiplied in money, in family, in relationships, in your ministry, in your job, in whatever you're doing, or you're not. I can't lie about these things. Everybody can see these things. I'm not asking you to believe in things you can't see. I'm just asking you to believe for my promise, which are things that are obviously evident. Now, the reason the church doesn't want to do that is because so few people have these evident in their lives and it will show who they are. Let's be honest. The reason so many leaders in churches don't want to preach that is because people will start examining their lives. Right? So he goes on to say this. It's a strong consolation for those who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This, and some Bibles say this hope, that hope is added. It's not in the Greek. Throw that junk out. The writer's trying to help you believe something that it's not actually saying. Now they're trying, they think they're doing a good thing, but it's because they don't understand the verse. Okay? This we have as an anchor for the soul. This, this what? Two things, blessing and multiplication. These things we have as an anchor for the soul. In other words, God's done this in my life. God's been blessing me. God's been multiplying me. I'm not leaving God now. I'm anchored in. It doesn't matter how many persecutions, how many trials, how much testing comes against me. I have this as an anchor. It's holding me firm. I don't care how the winds and the waves beat. I'm anchored in. And look where it says I'm anchored. Inside the veil. Now that's a reference to Old Testament scripture. What was inside the veil? 
The Holy of Holies. That's where we meet with God, folks. That's the Garden of Eden, if you will. Inside the Holy of Holies. I'm anchored in. I'm anchored in heaven. I'm anchored in the kingdom. I'm not anchored on earth. Nothing on earth is going to change me because I'm anchored in something more powerful. And it's not because of things that I couldn't see. It's because of all the things I have seen. Amen. It's because all the blessing and multiplication in my life and in the lives of the other people that I've seen, I'm not going to change. I'm anchored. Now, the winds may beat, but that anchor cord is strong. Now, isn't it a shame that some people have not been taught this and they've been taught other doctrines? They have no anchor. They have no anchor. And that's why when the waves come, without knowing it, their boat gets turned. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And if you don't check your course really often, you're headed that way and not that way. So, Think about this with me, if you will. And this is the last thing we we'll talk about today. Can we prove this? Hebrews eleven eleven. We'll only use one example because of time. But are we together on this? Are we together on this? It's God. Is it God? It's God. Amen. Now let's talk to you about blessing and multiplication. We're going to use Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah. You know anything about Sarah? What was the thing that Sarah was most upset about that if she could have asked God to fix, she would have asked him? She couldn't bear children. Yep, she needed to bear or felt like she wanted to bear offspring for Abram, Abraham, right? And that's a problem. Because even today, sometimes that's a problem, but but let me tell you, they didn't have any kind of medical science back then to deal with this problem, right? So if something had changed that, it would have been a visible, not an invisible, a visible manifestation of something only God could do. Am I right? So God has not asked us to believe in things we can't see. He has given us two things, blessing and multiplication, so that as we receive them, everybody can see. Amen? So a couple of questions for you just to think about. What was the trial for Sarah? Well, she was unable to have children. All right, so where there's a trial, what do we need? We need a promise. Faith is true, but you can't have faith in nothing. You got to have a promise first, all right? So what we need to do is find God's word on the subject when we're in a trial, right? And what was the word God had given to she and her husband? You will bear a son to your, for your husband. You, you will bear a son. Now, she had a little trouble believing that at times, she even let him sleep with her handmaid and had a son, but that was not the promise. The promise was, you will. That Sarah, 
herself would. Now, Sarah knew it was her. Now, I want you to think about this. Sarah knew it was her because Abram had already proved he could have children with Haggai. So there was nowhere else to run as far as the excuse. We know it was Sarah that just had some kind of medical difficulty or something like that, right? The enemy hated her. Why did this happen to her? Who sinned, she or her mom and daddy? No, this was so that the glory of the kingdom of God might be shown. This is a trial that blessing and multiplication would come through if we had faith in the promise and enough patience to wait for the promise, right? And the glory of God would be shown. Amen. Just like every trial that anybody in this room faces that Satan brings on them. So the promise of word was this, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. You, you shall. Now, the next thing that was necessary after we had the promise, and many people would say faith, absolutely true. But guys, not just faith. Not just faith. And, and this is what I think is important. I want to read you the story. Um, I'm in Hebrews 11. 11. By faith, Sarah herself, not talking about Abraham now, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. All right, I know for a fact it was Sarah's issue. She did not in her body, for whatever reason, have the necessary component to conceive seed. All right? But she received this from God. You with me? And she bore a child when she was past childbearing age. Here's the deal. Because she judged him faithful who had promised. To judge God faithful is to have faith. To judge God true is to have faith. To lean on him and say, I know he will come through is what faith is. That makes sense. So faith's not some hard thing to try to figure out. It's I have the word of God and I believe God's faithful. He won't let me down. Makes sense, right? So here's the other component though. She judged God faithful. How long though? did she have to remain in that state of judging God faithful? Anybody know? About 25 years from the first time God pronounced that this would happen to Abram until the day she bore Isaac was roughly 25 years. So faith and patience with endurance. Faith and patience with endurance, and you receive the promise. Not just faith for a half a second, not just faith for six days, but until you receive the promise. Until you receive the promise, the manifestation of the promise, you remain in faith and you judge Him faithful. Amen? Because there's no timeline with this. Now, after 
24-ish years. God came back to Abram. He said, listen, here's the deal. Within one year from now, your wife will bear a son. So at that point, they knew the timeline. Not only did they have a word on what would happen, but they then had a word on the timeline to believe in. But until you have a word on the timeline, you are judging God faithful day to day. Amen. I want to make that clear because so many Christians can believe for seven days. So many Christians can believe for 30 days. So many Christians will believe for 21, 20, 20 days and Daniel believed in t- for 21 and his answer came on the 21st day. You remember Daniel wanted to get a word from God to hear about and it took 21 days because fallen angels upheld his angel with his answer. And had, Dan- had Daniel just said, well, God, you know, I guess you just don't want me to know. Uh, let me say it like preachers say it. Well, there are some things we just don't know on this side. Even though you've prayed for an answer and God's told you he'll give you one. And what do you do? If you believe what they say, instead of saying, in the name of Jesus, I cast that word to the ground. I'll wait and judge you faithful, God. I'll wait for my answer. Right? And you're still in faith, and what they said just goes, it doesn't matter, right? 25 years. Let me ask you something, though. Would that have been a strong consolation to her for what was coming in the future? You think you could tell Sarah God wasn't real? I mean, ever. You think you could ever tell her, oh, God's not real, come on. Uh, or could you be one of these other Christians? Well, you know, God just asks us to believe in things we can't see. <laughs> you might be. I'm believing in things I can see. I just, I just bore a son. Amen? I know God's a blesser and a multiplier. I know He is. I'm not thinking He is. I'm not hoping He is anymore. I know He is. Right? Isn't He? Amen. This is what Apostle Paul said. Last scripture for the last thing. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 11. This is what he said. But you've carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions and afflictions which happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, what persecutions I endured. Persecutions, trials, temptations, Paul endured them. Prison, scourgings. He should have been dead so many times, according to the world. Not according to God, because God kept him alive, right? But you know what he said? You know what his testimony was? The man who had all this stuff happen to him. This is what he said. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. That's blessing and multiplication. God wasn't asking Paul to believe in something he couldn't see. God was saying, Paul, no matter what comes against you, find my promise and believe in it and see what I do. See what I do. I'm not asking you to believe in something you can't see. You see what I do. For I am God. I'm the God that loveth you, and I'm the God that healeth you. Amen? This is what your God's asking you. He's not saying, 
Oh, I know it's tough to believe. I know I, know I don't do anything for you now till later. That's not God. I'm encouraging you. Whatever you're in the middle of a battle for, whether it's day one or day 900, just relax and judge Him faithful. Nothing bad can happen to you in faith. Nothing bad can happen to you in faith. You hear me? As long as you are in faith, Satan's hand is too short. He cannot reach you. He cannot reach you when you're in faith. When you're judging God faithful, even though you don't have your manifestation yet, you're in a time, you're in a period where God is working with you. Nothing's going to happen to you. Nothing's going to happen to you. Judge Him faithful. And just as surely as Jesus will return, your manifestation will come. And that's from the Word of God, not from me. Amen? God bless all of you. Please read this stuff again. If you want the notes, come take a picture of it. All right? This is who the church has to focus on this. All churches, all over the world, the whole church, we have to focus on this because there's only one thing that changes people, and that's when the people of God receive blessing and manifestation of multiplication. Amen? Hallelujah. Father, we praise you. Thank you that you're so powerful. We thank you there was nobody else that you could swear by that was more powerful than you. And we thank you that we are your fullness. Lord God, we take it seriously. We want to rush out into the world now, being your fullness, and begin to pray for others, begin to love others, begin to think about this world, pray for the world, Lord God. Knowing that blessing and multiplication will come out of our prayers for others, for the world. Thank you so much for Jesus that you sacrificed him for the church to fill us. We'll never forget that name as long as we live. Even in eternal life, eons and eons from now, we will sing of the praise of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. And Lord, though things are coming that will try to shake us, things that we are not yet mentally prepared for, the name of Jesus is emblazoned on our forehead and on our hand. Lord, it's written in our hearts. And we know what truth is because of what you've done. We praise you forever. Amen.